And what else? Oh, doors being opened. Um, are you trying to come in? Someone's knocking on the door. Maybe not. Somebody. Uh, anyway. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Ask me that question again. That question? Thank you. That's exactly the question I was thinking of. Oh, okay. <sighs> Wait, do I always say <sighs> at the beginning of every episode? Yeah, it's like you don't want to be near, be recording with me. As if I'm like suddenly exhausted, even though we've been uh, testing for like 10 minutes and I feel I, I, I want to make everybody feel like I just like collapsed or something and just now sat down in front of the microphone. I thought you were just like just tired of recording with me. I don't know. Well, but then again, I sympathize with you, though. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to uh, record with me. No. Hey, I have to record with me, so. I guess it's a wash then. Yeah, which is, man, talk talk about having to put up with inanity. We could talk about that. We could. We very well could. But instead, we should probably talk about some arcade video games because, after all, this is the Pie Factory podcast, which is uh, episode number one hundred and five today and um oh by the way uh the person who is speaking now uh, this is sean sean oh yes and this person that is speaking now is jim jimmy g so that's how this works i guess in theory and, and i think we may have gotten somebody in trouble and i feel really bad oh um i think we got the corrections robot into trouble Oh? I didn't realize it, but I uh, I don't know if you saw it, but we got an email from a um, attorney over in England who represents the corrections robot. Apparently, the corrections robot is under contract with Tenpence LLC, oh. so that robot kind of uh, violated terms of contract. So, Wait, they uh, have LLCs yeah. over in the UK? Limited liability, I guess, unless it means something else besides limited liability. Or, or do they do the GmbH thing like Germany does? Well, I don't know. Goomba. That's what that stands for. Yeah. A lot of New Jersey people are in Germany, so that kind of makes sense. Oh, I thought they were just fans of Super Mario Brothers. But, yeah, uh, we're off to an exciting start. Very rousing, indeed. Very rousing. And, uh, Jimmy G, what have you been doing since our last recording, <laughs> well, besides coughing? Yeah. <clears throat> Ignore my coughing. I might have to pop a cough drop in before too long. That's just a warning out to all of our fans. That's what winter does to me. But, um... Well, I've had an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, a few days ago, I went over to the Galloping Ghost for the uh, to, to actually play some games with uh, with some friends, but uh, also to hit the um, hit the swap meet they had over there, and uh, got to talk to friends old and new, and got to play uh, Journey, which is a newer addition to the Galloping Ghost lineup. I remember Doc specifically told us he was not looking to add that game. Yes, and uh, I guess what happened was somebody offered him a machine. I think it was he said it was somebody from either Indiana or Ohio. I said, hey, I've got this. Do you want it? And he goes, eh, sure, send it over. And he's like, you can't turn it down if somebody's going to give you a game. And so that's why Journey hit the floor. The machine is fairly pristine, which I was quite impressed hmm. with. And I, um, I, I got to get over there and play it. Yeah, it's, um, it's Journey. <laughs> My opinions of the game haven't changed, and it's... 
still uninspired and it still needs an eight-way joystick to play well. But um, it's I, there. I still really want to play. I've never played the arcade game before. I've only played it in name. Mm-hmm. I do uh, notice that the, um, the the monitor seems to be a little... Uh, the damage seems to be a little elongated because you can't see your score on it. But other than that, it, it works fine. And um, I guess it's worth a play. Just say so you can play it. And I saw that the week before, Doc got a, a new game called... Well, it's not new, It's not a new game. It's new to him. It's new to Galloping Ghost. What was it? Uh, Boot Camp, I think? That looks yes. very, very interesting. I've played that before. Uh, and I've played it a lot at the Louis Joliet Mall. And um, it's a track and field style game, except you're in a boot camp. And instead of buttons, you got a trackball, which I think for a running type game, a trackball, it makes a lot more sense than uh, tapping buttons to run. And um, I, I really like that game. That's a, that's a fun game. It's a nice twist on the whole athletic competition deal. <laughs> if you lose one of the competitions in boot camp, uh, you're immediately taken to a chin-up sequence, and you got to roll the trackball, and you have, to, uh, you, you have to do a certain number of chin-ups before the timer ends, and if you succeed, you get to continue to the next event. If not, the game's over. I so, didn't see that on the stream. I didn't watch it that long. So that sounds, oh, that sounds so cool. That's a fun game. I think I think you might like that one. I think you might like that one. I think so, too. I, I, I got to get out. Friday is my last day of work until January 2nd. I got to find time to get out to the ghost during those days off. Well, let me know if you go. I might uh, join you up there if I can get away from down here. Mm-hmm. But um, I also did take a trip, a week-long trip. I drove from here down to uh, the Fort Worth area of Texas to visit a friend of ours. And, um, friend that I've known for 31 years and I've yet to visit him down there. Yeah. And, uh, he, um, and, um, what was I going to say? And, uh, Florsel Corp? No, not quite yet. Um, I visited, found a really nice state park down there where I went, we did a little hiking called Dinosaur Valley. They have dinosaur footprints like in the riverbed that have been there for like millions of years. It's really awesome. But, um, I also took a trip to the Northwest or not Northwest, Northeast. Uh, part of Dallas to a town of... Okay, it's escaping me at the moment, and I visited the National Video Game Museum. Ooh, do tell. Well, um, I will say this. If you're in the area, stop in. It's um, it's a little expensive for uh, the size of the museum. Uh, it's an interesting concept because it's, um, it's a, a warehouse building, but there's like five or six museums, different museums in the building, and each one is a separate admission fee, unfortunately. But um, I was a little disappointed that the arcade at the end of the uh, of the museum is uh, is a token arcade. But uh, oh. overall, I thought it was it was interesting. I don't know if I would go to Dallas just to see that. But if you're in the area, it's worth a stop. Uh, that having all been said, though, uh, it looks like they are going to be remodeling the museum already. They're t- already talking about version 2.0 of the museum. So that'll be interesting to see. It's really awesome because I got to see a couple of things with my own eyes that I have only seen pictures of on the internet, and it was really, really Wait, awesome. How, how was she? Uh, <laughs> wouldn't you like to know? No, I got to see uh, the uh, up close one of the Atari 7800 uh, computer keyboards, which they have on display oh, there. You can't touch awesome. it, obviously, but and then... <laughs> and... Um, 
That should be a video uh, game. Whoa, that should me. be a video game too. Um, excuse and, me. Uh, the Atari, they had an Atari MindLink uh, on display too, which um, again can't touch mm. it because it's behind a glass case. And uh, you already did the joke once, and I know you don't like to repeat jokes. So that was interesting to see that stuff, to see the actual prototypes, whether they work or not, I don't know. But um, there's also a lot of other interesting things there. Um, I did take some video of it. And as soon as we get it up to onto the website, we will make that available for viewing for uh, for Patreon subscribers. And oh. uh, so if you want to see it, just uh, doesn't matter what level you you uh, support the uh, the podcast. Even at a dollar a month level, you'll still be able to see these as soon as I can get these videos yes. over to Sean. So yeah, that was uh, that was fun. I enjoyed myself. Um, awesome. I thought it was interesting. Uh, one of my favorite things in the museum was the uh, the hall down to the men's room and the and the ladies room they had a dragon's lair machine just outside and the the door to the ladies room had a picture of princess daphne uh, painted on it and uh, the men's room had dirk the daring painted on it uh, and i'm pretty sure that don bluth painted those so uh, that was kind of neat i think one of the more interesting presentations in the museum uh, they had easter eggs hidden all throughout the museum and there was a terminal where you could log in create a name and then it would give you a list of of the easter eggs where they were and then you could get a hint if you needed a little more help trying to find them and uh, so that was that was pretty cool and uh, i'm not going to give too much more away but uh the world's largest pong machine is there i mean you play pong like on a wall-sized television and uh and stuff and uh complete boxed activision collection and uh it was really really awesome so um like i said if you're into it and you're in the area, I would stop in, but I wouldn't really, I wouldn't necessarily recommend making a special trip to Dallas to see it. But then again, like I said, there's a 2.0 in the works, so who knows? Who knows? But then again, I mean, you really don't go to a city just to see a museum, though, do you? I usually don't. The only time was Cleveland. Oh? To see the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Shame, I can see. Yeah, yeah. In fact, both times I was going to Cleveland not for work, it was because of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. One was just to see it, and another was they had a specific uh, exhibit that my wife and I wanted to see. Ah. So, yeah, and that's pretty much all I have to say about Cleveland. Yeah, I like Cleveland. I've only been it there could once. Be so much better. I've only been there once, but um, they've got a literal physical national park bordering up against the city, and. Uh, waterfalls within 30 minutes of downtown and uh, mountains nearby and i mean it's no like denver colorado but um it's i still like it from a natural standpoint so but that's just me i did take a road trip um when was it it was a a little over a week ago i took a road trip on uh, interstate 90 interstate 90 takes you through minnesota and south dakota in there and i went to west dundee oh I spent some time at Underground Retro. It was Friday night. It was a Friday night because I didn't. I knew that if I went there on a Saturday, I'd be there all freaking day. And then, and I know that I didn't want to like blow away an entire Saturday when I could have been spending it with the wife and the dog and doing stuff in the neighborhood. So I went Friday night. And one of the reasons I went was because I always wanted to see like the Dickens and Dundee thing that the town does. Oh right, right, right. And I, I believe. Uh... Scott at, uh, at Retrocade uh, has uh, participated in that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. This year, Daryl Decker, he did this before, but he was uh, in costume as the Grinch. I don't know exactly what he was doing because I wasn't, I unfortunately missed his performances, but 
I remember the first time I heard of Dickens and Dundee, Scott had like an animated Pac-Man and Monsters on, uh, was it on the roof maybe? I think it was the roof. Uh-huh. And it was like kind of a uh, animation set to Christmas and Hollis. Oh, neat. I remember seeing a video of that and I thought, oh man, so cool. I wish I was there. So I made a special point to go during Dickens and Dundee. And uh, now I've done it and I don't have to do it again. I don't have to go to Dickens and Dundee. I mean, our friend Keith said, oh, you should go. It's a lot of fun. Bring the wife. And my wife doesn't want to go with that. So what do I want to go to West Dundee for? Basically, every business has something going on in the window. I mean, it's, it's cool. But the thing is, number one, it was way overcrowded. And I get claustrophobic or agoraphobic. I don't know. One of those phobics. Also, it was not, a, at least in my personal experience, it's not a good event if you're pedophobic. There are like little kids everywhere. It's like, ah, just reinforced my decision to not have children. Mm-hmm. But, uh, oh man, I, I so wanted to go to Woodfire, but I I just couldn't get in. And But that's okay. Vans is nice too. But um, I played one of the games we're going to be talking about today. And uh, spent some quality time with Mr. Do and Centipede. That was pretty much it, really. I spent, I when I get into certain games, I just stay with them forever. And in fact, now I think about it, I think those are the only two games I played with, uh, besides what we're talking about. I think I just played Mr. Do and Centipede. <laughs> um, I wanted to play Time Pilot, but somebody was on that machine and I kind of forgot to go back to it. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I forgot to yeah, say, when I went to Galloping Ghost, I was playing some Moon Patrol and I got past the beginner course. I still haven't met my, uh, tied my high score on the game, which is uh, around 80,000. Yeah, it's about 60,000 higher than my highest. I love Moon Patrol. And, oh man, what the heck else? Oh yeah, um, my bike's broken, oh? so yeah. What happened there? What happened there was, I don't know what happened, but I, I decided I needed to do some uh, regular maintenance, you know, inflate the tires, lube the chain, if you know what I mean. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no And more. the rear tire suddenly would stop. Like, it wouldn't spin freely an entire revolution. I'm like, oh, crap. So I'm feeling around, if you know what I mean, wink, and wink, checking nudge, nudge, for loose spokes. And sure enough, I, I find a spoke that's severely loose. So it's either broken or loose. I figure, hmm, maybe I can tighten it up a little and i look no the rim where the spoke nipple connects was <laughs> cracked oh wow it was freaking cracked so it's like ah yeah that's definitely not good that's not good so i gotta fortunately uh, spokes are it's... pretty easy and cheap to fix spokes are easy it's easy and cheap to fix but what about the rim though oh the whole rim's bad not the whole rim but the part where the spoke connects is like cracked Ah, uh, oh yeah, you'll need a rim. So that's yeah. still pretty easy to fix, but just not cheap. How not cheap is that? Well, you got to get a new rim. Yeah, you know, thirty, forty bucks. Oh, that's oh, that's not. When bad, I say cheap I get... for fixing a spoke, I'm talking two dollars total for the spoke and the tool. Well, yeah, but I usually have them do it because I I'm not I, I suck at bike maintenance. The guys at Village Cycle Center told me YouTube is your friend. Yeah, after every time I follow YouTube and do what they say on YouTube, I make it worse. Well, um, all I know is on this whole level is I actually signed up for a uh, basic bicycle maintenance class at the Trick Store Ooh. in uh, Naperville uh, Thursday night. So oh, awesome! 
So I'll be heading to that. And plus, I've, I've mentioned before, I have the Park Tools Big Blue Book of Bicycle Repair, ah. which has helped me out of a gym. And I've said the thing I hate most about that book is how it's how the pages are all glossy stock. And if you get your hands a little bit greasy and you touch that, it's you know how glossy paper is when you... Yeah. It smears. But uh, I right, haven't yeah. had I mean, that happen yet, so... Ever since Village Cycle Center changed my back tire, because I had the Bontrager... Uh, was it A550? I think that's what came with the bike. Those tires suck. Oh, yeah. So they replaced the rear one for me, and I only broke a spoke on that thing once, and I think it was actually a construct, like someone's construction thing, like crashed into my bike or something when I wasn't looking because I parked it across the street from where the Billy Goat Tavern is downtown, where there's a bike rack, but there was some construction going on, and I think someone knocked into it. And that was the only time that spoke broke in the three or four years I had that tire. It was so, it's such a strong. Uh, tire or wheel? You said tire, there's a difference. Yeah, yeah, there's a difference. Yeah, it was definitely the wheel. Okay. Not the wheel. Yeah, yeah the, I, I will, I will it, attest. It's a, it's a no brand wheel, but it was so freaking strong. I will attest so to the fact strong. that those uh, wheels are, that come with them are kind of cheap. But yeah, they actually replaced it under warranty for me. And they said, well, the wheel warranty is actually longer than the bike warranty. So we can probably look. Get a warranty fix for it. I was like, cool. But yeah, and if a spoke ever goes bad, I it's like, you know, I, I can't true these things right. You guys do it. I'll give you 20 bucks to do it, you know? Well, and also I get a 10% discount because I am a member of Active Transportation Alliance. Oh, there you go. And this actually, given that I've uh, bought a few things using that discount already, and they, they gave me a tune-up once with that, I think this 10% discount will actually cover the membership costs so yay well i will say if you're ever in the market for an actual tire for your bicycle check out continental's gator skin tires they might have a different one for your uh, your kind of bicycle but uh they're puncture proof and um they're a little more expensive mm. but uh i love them i think they last time i bought one it was like 50 bucks but it was ah. worth every penny oh nice and so yeah that's been um my life recently oh there's one thing i gotta mention hmm for no, for absolutely no reason whatsoever. But I, I before I, I have to tell everybody about this. At the suggest <clears throat> Terry Hemmert on WXRT here in Chicago, she posted about this Christmas album she listens to every year, and my wife listened to a couple of tracks and she freaked out. She bought it. It is the most amazing thing ever. The album is called Merry Xmas from the Space Age Bachelor Pad, and it's by Esquivel. <laughs> It is so it is so deliciously tacky. It is the most wonderful thing ever. I just had to say that. So, I have received a Christmas, or well, actually a late birthday present from fans of the show. Uh, once again, thank you. Um, fans of the show have been uh, very, very kind and generous to me over the years, and uh, thank you for that. I've already personally thanked everybody involved with it. At least I believe I have. I'll have to double-check the card, but... Um, I received a uh, Ed Ladin Super CV controller, uh, which is a ColecoVision controller and uh, very, very nice and sturdily built. But also with that, I received a um, ColecoVision Phoenix console, uh, which is the is a replacement for the ColecoVision. It has the uh, the the Team Pixel Boy. Um, the super game module built into it uh, and you can play uh, ROMs uh, ColecoVision and Atari 2600 ROMs on it. They're working on creating a um, 2600 adapter for it 
and other um, other um, bread makers and other uh, game cores for it too. They're they're talking about uh, I believe MSX, Sega Master Systems, some arcade games and stuff like that down the line. But right now it's just twenty six hundred and the ColecoVision. And um, I do want to thank all of the uh, everybody involved with this. Uh, I do want to tell them all thank you again. But uh, one thing I do want to say, and I'm going to bring this out publicly, next time uh, a bunch of people, because this has happened a few times, and it, it really, really makes me feel kind of bad. Uh, I will say, I since I have lost my job in November, that this has actually um, helped me uh, help stave off some depression and, and that. But uh, I do want to say, uh, from this point forward, I'm not going to accept any more birthday gifts uh, from fans of the show. I will say that if you want to do something for my birthday, donate to the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Uh, just link in the, link show, in the show notes. So donate to them, and just let me know, and I would def- I would appreciate that because our listeners have been very very good to me. They've been very good to Sean too, but I feel like they've been extra good to me. And um, of course, you have a lot to do with that too. Thank you, thank you, Sean. Oh, you're quite welcome. Uh, this was Ed's idea, by the way. Oh wow! Well, thank you, Ed. But um, and I, re- I remember I I received that uh, Sega Master System from oh, who was it? I'm I'm blanking on the name. I know it'll come to I me. I think it was wasn't it Vito? No, shoot, I can't remember who. Uh, Jeff Prescott. That's who it was. Jeff Prescott. And then uh, a couple of years ago, I received a whole box of stuff, including a Mateos card for the 7800 and. Um, in that but uh so i just want to say that and uh, i'm glad that happened because good luck trying to get one of those things now yeah and um i, th- I think my pokey chip on it went out um i have to i haven't tried it in a while so i'll need to try it again but um so yeah that's kind of got me a little bothered but um so at any rate i've got i've been playing the collector vision and um i think it was team pixel boy converted a lot of the old uh adam games to uh work with the super game module and they released a whole mess of their games as a free download pack and so i've been uh, playing the heck out of that. i've been playing the heck out of that i brought all my uh, ColecoVision carts out of storage here i actually got them sitting right next to me here and uh, i've been playing those and uh, some of them i've got i got war games Jumpman jr cosmic avenger time pilot burger time ColecoVision burger time i think is the best home version of the game uh space panic <laughs> Spisu Panicu. Uh, Mr. Do, Frogger Pop by Cuber, Frenzy. I th- still think Frenzy is the best game on the ColecoVision, personally. You know, Zach's on Donkey Kong. Oh, yeah, a, a copy of Donkey Kong was included with it. And I th- Donkey Kong for the ColecoVision is like combat for the 2600. Yeah. So I already have a copy, and I think I've got, I think I've got two copies because I have a game here that doesn't have a label on it. I'm pretty sure that's a Donkey Kong, so I have three copies of it now. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, thank you to everybody. And, um, if you can get a hold of one of these collector vision devices, please purchase one, but well, please, but don't hesitate in purchasing one because they are worth every penny. Yeah, seriously. I didn't know they were out yet until, uh, was, it was, uh, Ed who uh, reached out to me and said, Hey, let's do this. And I was like, wait, that's out. And they had already sold out of that run. I think they said if they get another 100 or 200 orders, they're going to produce a second run. Yeah, I placed an order immediately when I found out about it's that. It's a thank great God little for, device. Thank God for PayPal credit and interest-free financing. And the thing oh is, it's God. not emulation. Please, people, order this. I want this thing. Please order it. Hell yeah. And the thing is, it's not emulation. It's uh, what they call the 
FPGA chips. So basically they re reproduced the chips in the console onto this other chip. And, um, you know, the rest is history, I guess, is the best way I can think of it. So it's not emulation. So everything... Man, I hope I can get that thing. Oh, gosh. You, you, I, think you, I think you'll play the hell out of this. And I would suggest getting a... Um, and it didn't come with a controller. You have to get your own. But um, now you can use a Super Nintendo controller with it. The issue with that is the um, ColecoVision Isn't controller had the keypad... Yeah. But it only had like two, four fire buttons if, you, uh, if you're if you using the Super Action Controller. So you would use like the shoulder buttons plus any combination of button of the other buttons to uh, emulate, I guess, the uh, the keypad. So there's a way to do it. And I'm told that there, there's an 8-bit do, um, or 8-bit do, no. Super Nintendo controller and a Super Nintendo 9-pin Wi-Fi adapter. And I'm told, wait, do they have that? No, I don't think they do. I think it's a different Bluetooth adapter. I'll have to look that up. But I've heard some people rub, heard of some people running uh, wireless on it, so I don't know if that works or not. But but any uh, really nine pin controller, any uh, ColecoVision controller will work on it. Um, I do have a Super Action controller here that I bought at Midwest Gaming Classic a couple of years ago, and I've tried that, and that works really well with it. So get one, get one. I, uh, want co- to. I think it's CollectorVision.com. You can order them. We will definitely link that mofo in the show notes. Oh, and the... Mofo in the show notes. The console comes with, uh, like, seven or eight um, Collector Vision games on the SD card. Yes. And it comes with uh, Sydney Hunter and the... I'm looking for it right now. Sacred Tribe. Well, it comes with two Sydney Hunter games. One's on the SD card. Caver- Caverns, uh, of, Caverns Death. of Death. That's, that's That comes with it on cartridge. Oh. And, uh... I'm really liking the Sydney Hunter and the Caverns of Death game. What's the Collector Vision Phoenix? Oh, they're based in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, that Are explains they? it. Yeah. Well, for some reason, I was thinking they're based in the South America. We're located in Phoenix, USA, and Montreal, Canada. Oh, Montreal. Okay. One of the Sydney Hunter games was released for the Sega Master System, I know. So for those of you who are interested in hunting Sydney's... That's where you go. Oh, yeah, here it is. Okay, yeah, it's under ColecoVision. Yeah. Oh, and I did uh, splurge and p- purchase the ColecoVision ROM pack, which is uh, 75 bucks, which is like 75 to 80 uh, ColecoVision titles. I didn't know they had that many. Good Lord. And um, about a third of the games I just don't care for. A third of them are okay, but uh, another third are like really, really great. And uh, the one I've been playing most on that pack, there's a Bomberman clone whose uh, name I am... Not remembering at the moment, but uh, I've been really, really addicted to that. Bomberman being, a, for some reason, a strangely addicting game to me. So, there we go. So, I think with that, is it uh, time to move on? Yeah, let's move on. All right, so, um, do we have any feedback, addenda, errata, yada, yada, yada? Uh, there is there is um, an erratum, so let's get uh, the Scattered Frog Band playing our... Alrighty. Love theme here. And thank you, Scattered Frog. Uh, yeah, there is uh, at least one uh, mistake. Uh, and I strongly apologize. I accidentally said that Midway was located at 3104 North California Avenue. Mm. No, 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 no. I don't know why I said that. I always knew that it was north of Belmont. So it's actually 3401. <gasps> North California. How dare you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was going to say, you talked to uh, Scattered Frog that does the theme for Denda and Arata. Aren't they going on worldwide tour pretty soon? 
I don't know. I thought I heard that. I don't know. I've, never, oh, well, we'll, I've never been informed of no, it. We'll, we'll, keep the, we'll keep the listeners up to date. We got some feedbacks, I believe. One of them, again, is from Eugenio, but I think we should probably wait on this until until the end of the episode because he talks about Warlords and Circus, which are oh, really? two games for tonight. Oh. So uh, we'll oh, wait okay. on that. He does make something about NBA Jam. But yeah, it's, we'll, we'll just wait and we'll read the whole thing after at the end of the show. Okay. Well, uh, we also have someone else commenting on NBA Jam, by the oh. way, and that would be uh, our friend Air Shack, who's very happy with our review of Atari football, I must say. And he says, fact, too often sports titles get the short end of the stick in reviews because the reviewers don't like sports titles or they say, I was never really good at this sport, so, which is of course totally unfair. It's a video game. The same thing happens to flight simulator style games. Bad reviews because the reviewers don't do their research by reading the game instructions. Uh, Airshack, by the way, I believe is an, is an airline pilot, so this might be especially um, uh, apropos to him. Uh, anyway, he says, uh, you guys nailed it on your review of Atari football. This is one of my favorite arcade games. I was a game room attendant in the early 1980s. Oh, Awesome. The Golden Arrow in my Chuck E. Cheese arcade had over 80 machines. I was trusted with a coin box key, which allowed me to play as many games as I wanted, as many times as I wanted to play them absolutely free. (sighs) Deep breath here. My friends and I loved to face off on Atari football. The top-down X's versus O's presentation was perfect. Probably a programming decision to avoid animating multiple little ugly stickmen players. It looked great and played wonderfully. The giant trackballs were always breaking at our arcade (laughs) because people were really banging on those controls. I remember injuring the palm of my hand on many occasions. You you brought that Mm -hmm. up. Yep. Atari football was the game of choice at the University of Texas at Arlington whenever steam needed to be let out after classes. I was in Arlington. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I went to Six Flags, which is right there in Arlington. Yeah. That's right outside. Yeah, it's right outside Dallas. It's right between huh. Dallas and Fort Worth, almost exactly. Oh man, it's a good thing he w- he was in uh, Texas because that would give him a perfect pilot accent. Ooh. Every time, every anytime I ever heard a pilot speak, it was always with that kind of Texas twang. Uh, folks, this is a captain from the. Uh, they always sound like they're from Texas. If you look out the right side of the window, you'll see the Grand perfect Canyon. match for Air Shack. Uh, yeah, I'd love to own. He goes on to say, "I'd love to own one of these machines <clears throat> myself." That is Atari football. Uh, my only hesitation is knowing that the large trackball controllers <laughs> would probably break often. I wonder how these machines are holding up over the years. Uh, we'll have to ask Scott about that. He is, uh, they have Atari football oh, underground yeah. retrocade. I don't think I've ever seen that machine ever out of service. So I don't, I don't know how fragile they actually are. But uh, anyway, uh, he goes on to say, uh, thanks for reviewing NBA Jam as well. I ordered the Boss Fight Books NBA Jam book for my Kindle. Oh, my God, I forgot to put that in the show notes. Uh-oh. Uh, I'll do it for both this episode and the previous the episode. Yep. So far, this is an enjoyable read. I especially like knowing how the machines were field tested in actual arcade sites. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I wasn't allowed in one of those test sites. <laughs> I talked about that in the previous <laughs> episode. But anyway... Uh, he says, my first exposure to NBA Jam was on the Atari Jaguar. Then he provides a link, which I will also be f- happy to share with uh, our pie factoids, uh, as it were. Uh, surprising just how excellent the title is on the Jaguar. I sold my liquidation warehouse mail-order Jaguar system shortly after ordering it because many, and in parentheses most, 
of the Jaguar titles were pretty awful, in my opinion. Not a big loss, as the console was selling for 29 bucks while the games were 5 to 8 bucks each back in 1998. Online research indicates that this cartridge version of NBA Jam is probably the best one out there. Not many Jaguar games can claim such superiority. Thanks for treating these outstanding sports titles fairly. I have a goal of programming a single-player TI-99-4A of Atari football in 2020. That is the year 2020. I may begin when I finish my current game project, which involves escaping from North Korea. And, uh, let's see, here's a... Oh, he included a screenshot of that game he's working on about escaping from North Korea. I'm going to check with him, make sure we can share it. And if we, if we can, then wonderful. And he says, happy holidays, guys. Air Shack. Well, happy holidays to you, Air Shack. Thank you so much. It was awesome hearing from you. Yes, it was. Thank you for the feedback. And we look forward to hearing from you uh, some more uh, sometime in the future. Um, Indeed. Yeah, because it'd be kind of impossible to hear from you in the present, especially since... Not really. Well, yeah, I mean, we can, we're recording this in the right past now. when this gets released, so... All right, don't don't confuse me, dude. Don't confuse me because it's the present now. <laughs> so oh, you you broke my brain. My brain hurts. No, no, no. <laughs> we haven't done a Mighty Python reference in a long time. No. Yeah, it's because. All right, Monty Python references for comedic effect are so cl- Dude, oh my goodness. Oh no. I, I don't know if I told you about this. Oh no. But when my wife and I were uh, were in Portland, I think it was 2015. We decided to check out comedy sports there. It's a it's a mm-hmm. a short form improv thing right. where they do it's it's competitive improv. It's kind of like a, they, a audience participation. Uh, whose line is it anyway? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And uh, they have it in Chicago. We've been to the one in Chicago many times. In fact, we both took improv classes at the one in Chicago. We wanted to see how they do it in Portland. So when we were there, there's a game over in uh, Chicago. They call it Left Hand Larry. They call it something else in uh, Portland, but it's the same game. Uh, you have two teams of improvisers, and then you have a referee, hence the term comedy sports. And the left-hand Larry game, the uh, referee will turn to the audience and ask for a certain category, like, say, breakfast cereals. And then the referee will point to a contestant at random, and when the referee points to the contestant, that contestant has to name a breakfast cereal and just repeat over and over. And if you hesitate or you get it wrong or you say something that was already said you have to put up a hand and then when you put up both your hands you're out of the contest Mm -hmm. and the winner is whoever's left one of the categories the night we saw them in portland was monty python oh no so the referee was pointing to the different players and stuff and i don't remember what one of them said what might have been dead parrot or something and then the referee just kind of turned to the audience and he said um I don't really know Monty Python. Is this a real one? Oh, no. It's like, dude. It's like the most famous sketch. You work in comedy. It might have been dead. I don't remember, but it might have been that. But it's like, how do you not know Monty Python if you're working in comedy? Mm -mm -mm. Oh, my goodness. All sketch comedy shows owe a debt to Monty Python's Flying Circus. And your show of shows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. True. True. But good grief. Um. Anyway, uh, do we have any other feedback? When, well, when the Eugenio one, any, but uh, we were holding off on that. Do we have any uh, Twitters? Not that I have seen. Uh, do we have any messages from the book face? Uh, not that I have seen. Let me see if we got on Twitter here. Oh, one other thing. Um, I am starting to accept donations for uh, Bike MS in, in June, so uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. 
and I'm actually doing pretty good for being so early in the year. Well, Happy Dude UK um, did ask us over Twitter, have you tried Arcade Sidekick? Uh, he says, I know your scores are not very high, but the app is great. I have not. Um, is that? I know there was some kind of arcade thing, some kind of arcade app that's Android only, though. And if, that, if that's it, then I can't. I think that's uh, the one that they started using on 10 pence. Okay. Track scores, I think. So yeah, well, that's uh, something we'll have to have to uh, look into. At least I'll have to. Well, you'll have to look well, into if you so desire. If I uh, if I want to, I yeah, don't know if, if I don't feel want, like embarrassing myself. Yeah. Of course, I do it but, every three weeks on the show, though. So well, of course. Uh, so hey, should we just get into um, the uh, the gamages that we're uh, that we've prepared for this episode? Let's get down with the sickness. Sure. All right. Hey, I picked the the order last time, so why don't you... Ch- oh, 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 well, there is some news. I totally forgot. Oh. Pie Factory Podcast now has a presence on MeWe. Oh. M-E-W-E. We do. Yes, we do. Oh, I don't know this. Yes, we do. I was on it for a while, but yes. then I got off of it. Yeah. It's another social media platform like Facebook, except I think it's mobile only. No, it's not. Oh, it isn't. No, oh, I thought not. it was. Nope. Nope. And uh, they tout privacy as very important to them. I don't know how seriously they take that, but hey, it's worth a shot. Sure, I guess. So, so, so yeah, if you want to follow us on me, we uh, go right dang well ahead. I will say this, though. They have a, they have much better binary file support. Like, if you upload a sound file, yeah. it embeds it in a player. Oh, so really? Facebook doesn't do that. I think MySpace does that, too. Because a lot of people who distribute their music online say that MySpace is way better for that than Facebook ever huh. was. Is MySpace right. even still around? Yep. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, what games should we discuss first? You know first? what? Why don't we discuss... Let's talk about Circus. Okay, good. For Exidy. Circus. Exidy. Ah, Circus. Yeah, when, that's, when I'm done talking, I'm going to put you on mute so that... So um, you can cough. I can cough till my heart's content. Aha, so, circus. Aha, circus. Huzzah. This is a 1977 uh, black and white raster game from Exidy, but uh, it's one of those where the color is provided by clear labels on the monitor. So, you know, you have three rows of balloons, one's blue, one's green, and one's yellow. So what'll happen, uh, for people not familiar with this game, uh, well, a clown will jump from the edge of the screen, and um, the player controls a little seesaw, teeter-totter, whatever, on the bottom of the screen with the paddle controller on the console. What you have to do is uh, catch the clown on the high end of the the seesaw, and it bounces the other guy up, and he knocks out balloons, and he comes down, you got to catch him, and then the first guy comes up, and they just keep bouncing back and forth like that. And um, the more perfectly they bounce from the high end of the uh, the teeter-totter, the faster and higher up, they will uh, bounce up the screen. The goal of the game is to basically uh, bounce to the top of the screen and uh, get a high score. By popping balloons. By popping balloons. And uh, your clown will rebound off of balloons after it pops, uh, walls, jump boards, whatever. But uh, they only bounce off the jump boards and they're heading down. If they're going up, they'll pass right through them. Really not a whole lot to uh, describe about this game. Most people have probably played some version of this, not realizing it was an arcade game. So uh, I guess that's the description of the game. So let's get into scoring. Every time you have a successful jump, you get 10 points. Every time you pop a yellow balloon, it's 20. Green balloon is 50. And popping a blue balloon is 100. Now, 
Bonus for clearing the yellow row, you get 200 points. Blown, blow, Bonus for clearing the green balloon row is 500 points. And for clearing the blue row is 1,000 points. Plus, you get a free jump, a free, a free life. Also, the player can win a free game for getting the day's high score. Yay. So that's I like that. I think that's a great incentive and a great usage of the whole high score table. I don't think we've encountered another game huh. that had that as a prize, if you will. I take it since it's a high score table that decides it, that you have to make a minimum score to do that? Uh, like you can't you can't just like reset the machine. Score 20 points and then, and then lose your yeah. game? That's yeah. a good question. I don't know. Why, thank you. I will probably not look into that. Next time I'm at the ghost, I'll have to try that. Yeah, and actually, well, we'll talk about that later. But uh, Doc won't mind if we unplug the machine for a <laughs> while and plug it back in, will he? So that's that's pretty much how you play the games. There's some trivia. <laughs> that's sure. That's how I play the game. Right. Yeah. This is the uh, one of the first games produced by XD that used a 6502 processor to control it instead of uh, handcrafted logic circuits, so it didn't use discrete technology. Uh, at least 13,000 units were produced, maybe as many as 20,000. And there were no official ports of the game, but plenty of un- unofficial ones. Uh, everyone's probably uh. probably familiar with Circus Atari on the uh, 7800. Uh, good friend, uh, Bob. Uh, 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 uh. Everyone's probably familiar with Circus Atari on what? On the Atari 2600. And then on the Atari 7800, there's Super Circus Atari. Super Circus Atari Age. Oh, that's right. Super Circus Atari Age. Which I like that one. It's, that one's got a lot of fun options, including if you set the options right, there's actually a little boss that comes around that you have to destroy. It's just the Atari Age logo, but you got to oh, hit it yeah. eight times. And it also has a mode in which you can play like with the classic graphics, yes, make it look like yes. the original Circus Atari. Yes. Uh, it's also a pokey game, too. So if you have a yeah, pokey chip, yeah. you can pop that in there and get some pokey sounds. And... Um, and there have been others for other computers and systems or whatever. Probably way too many to mention. But uh, so this is a game a lot of people are very, very, very familiar with. And um, I will say this: that uh, uh, Circus Atari and and Super Circus Atari Age are two of my favorite games in my collection. Circus Atari is generally listed on people's list of favorite games for the console for good reason. Missing. I never owned that game until at least 2006. Really? Possibly actually in the last few years, I, I never owned it till then. Seriously. I don't think I owned it until the 90s, but I borrowed it from my cousin quite frequently. And um, I could go on about it, but it's really, really a fun game on the home consoles. Uh, notice I said on the fun fun game on the home consoles. I, yeah, Jimmy G, I was going to ask you uh, why you qualified that that way. Because I don't care for this version. I've played it for the first time ever at the Galloping Ghost this last weekend. Oh, really? Yes, uh, but I have oh. played it in emulation before. And um, I it's did not grab me. I think this is a game that you just need to sit down in your living room with your friends all around you to play. And... Um, I don't think this is a good arcade game. Hmm. I mean, it's not terrible. I've played a lot of terrible arcade games. This isn't terrible, but it's... I guess it's one of those games where it's... uh, that you're so familiar with the home version of it first that uh, you can't help but compare it to the home version. And uh, therefore, the arcade version, which was actually first, is always going to seem lacking. And that's kind of my... what I'm thinking about this. So, uh, So that's my opinion on it. Hmm. I don't know. What do you have to say? (laughs) There's one thing that I really, really like about Circus. Oh? It's one of the many reasons I love Mr. Do. Oh? Because no matter what, 
the game ends with a clown dying. Aha. That's a good thing. Yeah. But yeah, I totally hear what you say. And I, I don't think any arcade game ever has gotten me more angry when playing it Mm -hmm. than circus. And I think the biggest problem with it is the control. Yes. Did you notice that control? The control, the the spinner, the paddle, did not seem to have uh, the same kind of action that the, an Atari Twenty Six Hundred paddle has, or most other or most paddles, other paddles. Actually, it seemed stiff. I guess maybe not stiff, but too much friction in the paddle. Well, that not correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't played this in a while on the arcade, but and my first time was also at Galloping Ghost, but it was like quite a while ago. But the spinner doesn't actually move smoothly. It kind of has like little stops on it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Arkanoid has the same thing. And I think I've actually uh, thinking about. I think I've heard that complaint about the spinner for one of the arcade one up that has uh, Tempest on it. Actually, Mm, yeah, Uh, yeah. you might. uh, You know, I think you're right on that. I think that's yeah. Arkanoid has the same thing, except it's a lot more manageable on Arkanoid. Yeah, it's not quite as tight, Mm -hmm. I guess. But yeah, Circus is, it makes the game unplayable. It really does. And it, yeah, I, yeah, I've, I don't think I've ever successfully completed a row on the arcade Circus. Circus Atari, Super Circus Atari Age, sure. Mm-hmm. But man, oh man. I completed the yellow row on uh, Circus once. But um, hmm. I, I played it a few times and I put it down and like I don't ever see myself coming back to this game. Yeah, I just might I might next time I'm at the ghost uh-huh. just just to reinforce my deep hatred for <laughs> it. Now, let me ask you this. How about on the home consoles? What are your what is your feeling of this type of game? I love it. I lo- I, I love Cir- I love Circus Atari. Super Circus Atari Age I found very dangerous cuz it was one of those let me try again kind yep. of things. And meanwhile, like 19 hours later. <laughs> Two days later. Yeah. The thing I liked about Super Circus Atari Age is that you can play it with the joystick, with the paddles, or the 2600 driving controller. Yeah. And so you have a lot of nice uh, nice control options with that. Mm-hmm. Now, if somebody would hack it to use the keypad controller, <laughs> no, I wouldn't play it. I probably would. And knowing uh. Bob, he'd probably make it work really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. But I guess uh, not a lot more to say about this game. Do we have any high scores for this? Um, actually, no. No. Oh, actually, um, Orcade.com, A-U-R-C-A-D-E, mm-hmm. has uh, Brian Eck. Brian Eck scored, um, what did he score? His high score was 55,060, and that was just recently done on November 16th, 2019, at Galloping Ghost. And if you're any good at Circus, it's not very difficult to get the um, Orcade.com record because there are only two locations listed there, at least right now. In addition to Galloping Ghost, there's Dorky's Bar Arcade in Tacoma. I love the name of that bar. But yeah, and, but yeah the game Circus, it's... It's just not exciting. It's just very, it's bland to look at and very annoying to play. Now, here's the thing about the bland looking part. And it's not because it's a game that has overlays to provide the color because it's black and white. No, of course not. Not at all. Because we've played many games that have had uh, color overlays and uh, the games weren't bland. I'm thinking of uh, right off the top of my head. um, um, Oh, God, was it? It's not Star Fortress. Star Castle. Uh, Star Castle was mm. not a bland-looking game, and it had it was a black and white monitor with uh, 
color overlays. Um, yeah, and uh, we haven't we haven't discussed it yet in this podcast, but Armor dot 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 attack yes. also. I love that game. Yeah, Armor Attack's another one. Uh, really, pretty much any of those cinematronic uh, vector games. And uh, we're actually going to be talking about another one in just a few minutes. I believe that's the oh, same really? thing. Cinematronics, though. No, I don't think so, Tim. But hey, you know, do we really have anything more to say about this Not circus really. game? It's an early game, so I guess you can cut it a little slack. But yeah, maybe. But, but uh, I'm not going to. They would have like, you would have thought that they could that given that it was an early game, that maybe they would have done something later on to make it a little bit better. Kind of like say Space Panic, how that kind of became Mister Do's Castle. Well, what was the uh, the one game uh, we were talking about before? Uh, head on, I believe it was, or head on yeah. to that was constantly updated and. And uh, sometime in the 80s, Konami came out with a new version of it, I believe, called Fastlane. Huh. With spiced-up graphics and power-ups, but it was the same game. Where you're, you got a car, you're collecting dots, and you're after having to avoid the crash car. Oh. But, yeah, I guess, uh, hey, why don't we talk about our ratings? How Out of five continues, how One. do you... By the way, there are no, there's no listing on this in Twin Galaxies, by the way. Not a, maybe under MAME, but not for standalone arcade. What's your rating? I'm giving it a one. Hey, we're in agreement Yay. here. I also award it a one out of five continues. Yeah, I'm not uh, not thrilled with this one. Not thrilled. I don't like it. Hey, what do you think, uh, friends? Pie Factory at Fab4IT or Hi, Pie friends. Factory Podcast at Fab4IT.com or um, Pie Factory PFP on the Twitters. Uh, we're also on uh, Facebook and, of course, MeWe. Um, so I guess we should uh, slounger over slounger. to the next game. Why don't we saunter over to it? Oh, saunter. Let's saunter. Yeah, next time we're going to sashay, though. But today Ooh. we're going to saunter over to Warlords. Yay. Ah, Warlords. Huzzah, Warlords. Uh-huh. Ah, Warlords. Warlords. The Lord of Achoo. War. Warlords. The Lord of the War. Ah, yes, Warlords. Uh Probably nothing that we need to totally explain. It is a one to four player game. Oh, there are some uh, caveats to that, though. The way I like to describe it. Now, this is the thing. I love how you first had Breakout and then you had all these little twists on Breakout because Breakout begat Space Invaders and Space Invaders begat Centipede, which begat Millipede, so you got that going on, and Breakout also begat Warlords, because you're basically, in a way, playing competitive Breakout against three other players. Mm -hmm. And Warlords was uh, released by Atari in 1980, and uh, I'm going to be totally honest, when I did my research for this game, I couldn't find a lot. And I could not find my copy of the classic gaming book cast to see if it's covered in there. Sorry, Chris Plus Plus, I, tr I tried. <laughs> and so I didn't get a heck of a lot of information out of this. So I kind of cheated and I listened to the Atari 20. I take it back. I listened to the 2600 game by game podcast episode about Warlords. That was before Ferg started calling it the Atari 2600 game by game podcast. But um, of course, Totally expected. It pretty much covers just the Atari 2600 development of the game, not the arcade development. It's something interesting that I've learned from that podcast, in fact, we should link that in the show notes, is that apparently the Atari 2600 Warlords started development before the arcade Warlords started development. So I found that to be quite, quite, quite fascinating. But anyway, Warlords itself, you have four players one on each corner of the screen, and each player, um, in fact, this is, um, 
I don't think this backstory existed for the arcade version, but it exists for the 2600 version. And usually I would turn things over to Jim to uh, cover this kind of thing. But um, given that he's not in a very uncough situation mm-hmm. tonight, uh, with his permission, I would like to uh, do a little reading. Oh, here. please do. Okay, thank you. Here's the backstory. Once, long ago, in a distant land, lived a king named Frederick. He took very good care of his subjects and pretty much let the kingdom run itself. One day, King Frederick and his wife, Queen Christina, decided to start a family. To their surprise, Queen Christina soon gave birth to quadruplets, four healthy sons all at once. Oh, God. All at once? They didn't come out one at a time? Oh, anyway, I'm sorry. <clears throat> the king and queen were overwhelmed. The years passed quickly, and Frederick's sons, Dominic, Marcus, Felipe, and Restivo, grew to be strong young men. But they were nothing like their kind and peaceful father. They were just the opposite. The four sons of King Frederick fought constantly over anything and everything. Their fighting was so fierce. How fierce was it? <laughs> it was so fierce that even the normally unconcerned Frederick became concerned. Left to his violent and competitive sons, his peaceful kingdom could very well be destroyed after he was gone, or perhaps even sooner. The solution King Frederick decided upon was drastic, but he knew it had to be. Dominic, Marcus, Felipe, and Restivo were banished from their homeland and sent far away to a forbidden land. There they became warlords, dividing their newly acquired territory into four equal sectors, which, incidentally, was the first and last thing they ever agreed upon. They then took to building their own castles, after which the battling resumed and never ended. They stopped catapulting fireballs and lightning balls at one another only long enough to rebuild their damaged and war-torn castles. After repairs were made, the fighting always began again, with renewed ferocity. So, King Frederick's warlords have been battling for many centuries, and now it's up to you, and I'm pointing at you, by the way, to carry on their long-standing feud. Dominic, Marcus, Felipe, and Restivo have been locked inside this game program, trademark. They've stored enough fireballs and lightning balls so that they'll never run out, and neither will you. They can hardly wait to do battle. So good luck, you're in for some fierce competition. So there you go. If that's the backstory you wish to follow, then hey, that's Warlords for you. You control either Dominic, Felipe, Marcus, or Restivo. That's actually a really good story. It is, it is. I have to say that, I have to agree with you. And you control with a spinner controller, except unlike with Circus, the spinner controller doesn't have little stops in it. It's perfectly smooth, at least the... uh, cabinets that i've played the arcade game on and there are by the way there are two different cabinets there's a cabinet that allows up to four players and that's more of a cocktail style cabinet and there's a cabinet that allows up to only two players and that's the standard uh, upright cabinet and there are some other differences too uh specifically that the four-player cabinet has on-screen color graphics while the two-player cabinet has monochrome graphics with color overlays. And I got to say, I actually really dig those, how those colored overlays look. Mm -hmm. And uh, at least I've, I personally have never seen a four player cabinet. I've only seen the uh, two player versions and the two player version. At least I can't say for sure about the four player 
has a background yes. on it. And it is such a cool looking background that it's basically the castles. And on top of that, the graphics are projected from a mirror, kind of like how they are in Space Invaders. So you're not actually looking at the monitor itself when you play Warlords. You're looking at a mirror image, and it's a really amazing 3D effect. Oh, it gosh, is so I love cool. It. They did something oh, similar man. with uh, Asteroids Deluxe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Was that also a mirror? Yes, game? it was. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, that might explain why so many of uh, the Asteroids Deluxe machines I've played are so dim. Oh, could be, actually. Yeah. Huh. Well, then again, it's dim in emulation, too. Anyway, the Warlords machine, uh, you're basically playing Breakout against three other people, really. And uh, the enemies, by the way, are either Warlords or Black Knights. Any computer-controlled enemy is called a Black Knight. And human-controlled players are called Warlords. And that does make a slight bit of difference, by the way. Your job is to destroy everybody else's castle or see to it that everybody else's castle is destroyed while yours remains on the screen. And the scoring system goes like this. If you destroy a brick in the opponent's wall, you get 125 points. If you destroy a warlord, you get 1,000 points. If you destroy a black knight, you get 2,500 points. And if you finish a level you get a 5,000-point bonus multiplied by the level number you are on, and it maxes out at level 8. And having said that, there's a little bit more to it than you're just playing Breakout. Uh, the Fireball is basically the Breakout Ball. On the control panel, there is a spinner for every human player that's allowed to play. And above the spinner is a button that is labeled Power Stone. The Power Stone button, uh, in addition to doubling as a start button, also is a button that if you have pressed down when the fireball comes to your player, to your little cannon, I guess, you can actually hold on to that fireball and throw it from a different position if you so desire, with one little caveat, and that is that the fireball will actually destroy a little piece of your castle, like a little piece of a brick, and the longer you hold it, the more destructive it gets to your castle. So you don't want to hold on to it for terribly long. But a really cool thing about it is uh, you can catch the other players off guard. Like if they're on the other side of the castle, you can hurry up and whip down to the unguarded side of the castle and get a quick shot off of it. And uh, uh, that's a little strategy that I like to use a lot. And I do believe that um, if you're playing against human players... There's no level advancement. I might be wrong about that, though. I Again, uh, Google, I, I use, uh, we use Google Docs to, um, I'm not going to get into the technicalities, but my, my notes were destroyed here, so I'm only working on partial notes. <laughs> um, thank you, Google. And um, I believe that if you're playing human beings, like the game's over when one player is left. I think if it's human beings and the computer, I do believe that if at least one player survives the round, both players or three players or whatever advance to the next round, but only the one who actually survives gets the bonus. I think that's how that works. Really, I think that's the basic gameplay of Warlords. Uh, did I leave anything out, Jimmy G? Did you mention that if you hold on to the ball, sparks will fly out and damage your castle? I didn't mention the sparks, but I did mention the destruction. Ah. Yeah. And, uh, oh, at the beginning of uh, every round, there's a dinosaur that, dragon. there's a dragon that comes out and, uh, 
basically puts the ball in play, kind of like a jump ball, if you will, in basketball. Uh, except I found that at least in a one-player arcade game, the ball always goes to player one first. Hmm. So just be prepared to receive the ball. The castle is considered destroyed when a fireball hits the warlord or the black knight that is within the castle walls. You don't have to completely obliterate the walls. And oh, by the way, once you do destroy one of the enemies, another fireball gets tossed into play. Ooh, multiple. Yeah, multi-balls, which was, of course, my nickname in college. But And that's the thing. So yeah, um, there are several home versions of Warlords. There's one for the Atari 2600, which is what I think most people are really familiar with, actually. There was also a uh, home version for the Sinclair ZX Spectrum. Uh, that was actually on cassettes, believe it or not. There was one for the um, Apple II. But these were these were not uh, official versions, though. The only official one would have been I don't 2600, believe they were. I believe. I would think so, yeah. Because, well, for one thing... Well, then again, I can't really say that because Atari didn't make them, it's not official. Because Atari made the Star Wars arcade game, but Parker Brothers made the 2600 version. Go fix. Oh, true. Yeah. Um, let's see. There was also, let's see, there's a uh, version for, Di- there's Dynavision uh, has Warlords. Yeah, my notes here says Genesis, Sega CD, Game Boy, Game Gear, P- PS3, Wii, and mobile, but I don't think that's true. I don't know where the hell that came from. There was a remix version on Retro Atari Classics for Nintendo DS. There's the Atari Revival Pack, which had a 3D version of Warlords, and uh, that was on... Uh, Oh, what the heck console had that? Uh, shoot, I don't remember. Ah, well. I think, really, the main version that everybody's well aware of is the 2600 version. And there's also a homebrew variation of the 2600 version called Medieval Mayhem. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly forgot who did that one. Was that Champ Games? I don't think it was. Um, I have I have the, uh, I think it's Castle Crisis for the 8-bit computer, which I think is also on the 2600. No. Oh, that one is not. No, Medieval Mayhem. Medieval Mayhem on the 2600 is by Spiceware. Okay, Spiceware. And uh, Castle Crisis is, is the 8-bit version. That's uh, Daryl Spice. The I mean, uh, Castle Crisis. Castle Crisis is... Uh, hmm. Damn good question. Let's uh, see if they have it in see. the Atari Age store. Yeah, I'm and checking. And they don't. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Oh, wait, it's under 5,200 maybe? It's Brian Edivard. Ah, there we go. And the the thing about Castle Crisis and Medieval Mayhem is they're basically warlords, but made to look much more like the arcade Yeah, they are extremely faithful to the arcade. Yeah, well then again, there never was a warlords for the 8 bits and 5,200. There was not. I will say this, the videogamecritic.com has basically called the original warlords quite possibly the best multiplayer game ever made. Wow. And um, I don't know if I would go that far, but it's uh, if not, it's pretty damn close in my opinion. Yeah, it is. It is a fun. It's game. a great party that, game. Oh yeah, War. I mean, you go to anybody, any kind of Atari party, chances are a Warlords tournament will break out because you can play up to four players mm-hmm. in that thing. And oh, true story. When our friend Keith, who longtime listener and supporter of this show, when he had one of his Atari parties, he asked me to if I could bring over uh, Medieval Mayhem. I had it on my. Oh, I got. I actually have to buy that because I only have the ROM. I should buy it. But uh, I brought over my uh, Harmony cart that had Medieval Mayhem on it. And so we fired it up and we had some people play it. And I swear to God, when we were done, somebody came over, pulled out the Harmony cart, and put Warlords in. It's like, dude, really? 
You want to downgrade it? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know what that was about. Maybe he didn't like. Oh, by the way, the Atari. I, that's another Atari Twenty Six Hundred title I did not own until recently. In fact, hmm. I never played it until fairly recently. The first, in fact, the first time I ever played any version of Warlords was Medieval Mayhem. I think I. Here we go. Uh, the exact quote from the video game critic: "Warlords is the standard by which all other multiplayer games will be judged against in perpetuity." I can see that. I can see that. I, I really don't know. Do you have any... Co- what comments do you have about Warlords in general, really? Well, Warlords in general... Warlords is a, in general is a great game. Or even in Rear Admiral. Oh, well. I will say that um, I think it's a lot more fun at home than it is in the arcade. Really? I don't hate the arcade version. I no, Nowhere near as much as I dislike Circus. But it's a game I would rather play at home. Huh. Okay. See, I don't really, I've never really played it at home. Even though I do have Warlords, I do have the Medieval Mayhem ROM, which I will upgrade to a real cartridge, I promise. And I got to tell you, when I went to Underground Retrocade, I was so hooked on Warlords. I really was. I was playing it so much. It was another one of those games where I was like, okay, I think I could do better this time. I think I can do better this time. And I think my best ended up being like 55,000. Mm-hmm on the one player games, I just fell so hard for this game. In fact, I'm going to just jump right to the point and say, I'm rating this five continues oh, wow. out of five. And this is only based on the two player version. Mm-hmm. I've never played the four player cocktail version. So uh, my mind might change, but I don't know. I kind of, I love everything about at least the two player upright version, the graphics, mm-hmm. you, the last thing you're ever going to think is, oh, these are black and white graphics it's, with color It's overlays. really got a snazzy presentation for the game it is. Yeah, and the 3D-ness of mm-hmm. it is just amazing. The ref- the way that it uses the reflection instead of the monitor, it's so good. Oh, man. The gameplay is fantastic, and the sound of- there are some booming sound effects that were so of the time that you just don't get in like later mid-'80s games. It, it, there's everything about it. It's just wonderful, at least in my personal opinion. And wh- another thing I love about this game, about Warlords, if you're playing just one player, you can play either the left player or the right player. It doesn't force you to just only be one certain player like a lot of other multiplayer games do. So if you prefer standing on the right side of the cabinet, you can play the right player. If you prefer the left, you can stay on the left. And I f- love that. Well, my my rating on the game, I'm rating it a three. And it's basically based on the fact that as a one-player experience, and and that's all I've really played it in the arcade, is, I don't know, it's one player. It's really a game that needs multiple players. And as a one-player game, it's okay, but, you know, if I'm going to play a one-player game, I'd rather play something like, oh, I don't know, Pango or Crystal Castles or something. But, um... I'm sure this is a great game multiplayer. And I mean, it's like Mortal Kombat. I mean, we didn't, neither of us liked Mortal Kombat, but when we played against each other on the game, we have a new appreciation for the thing. Yeah, we were having fun with yes, that. Yes, we were. We need to play some more of that, too. So that's basically what I'm basing this on. It's still fun, but it's not going to ever be a go-to one-player game for me. Uh, but I will hopefully play as multiple people before too long and adjust my score accordingly. Uh, that having been said... The first place I've ever seen and played this was actually at that game place in the Jefferson Square Mall. Oh, really? And they had it right out front uh, for a long time, actually. And um, it's, uh, yeah, great game. 
in... Was that the two-player version? Yes, it was the two-player. I have never seen the four-player. Is the four-player a cocktail? It's... I think so. It might be one of those uh, uh, Atari football-style cocktails, but I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, the four-player is a cocktail. And which is why I really think that at least at Underground Retrocade and Galloping Ghost, we're never going to see it there because I know that both Doc and Scott aren't really necessarily big fans of cocktail tables. It is a cocktail. At least for, for business purposes, at least. Yeah, it is a cocktail. I'm just looking at a picture of it here. It's kind of a snazzy-looking cocktail, actually. It doesn't have the three Dinas for obvious reasons since it's not mirror-projected, right. but it's still yeah, pretty snazzy-looking. Okay. Is it, uh, does it look like it's the size of Atari football? Or is yeah, it, it looks like, like about that size. Okay. Okay. So it's like a stand-up cocktail kind of thing. Um, it's not that tall. This looks like it's more of, oh, okay. it does look like a sit-down machine, but the oh, okay. actual, uh, length and width of it are about the same as football, it looks like. All right. And, uh, we got some high scores on this one, uh. Twin Galaxies tracks one-player and two-player team modes. Uh, for single-player, there's Peter Scahill with a score of 911,875 points, which was submitted on August 29th, 2016. And for two-player team, there's David Nelson and Jason Cram. I believe those guys have come up in our score reports uh, in previous episodes. But anyway, they got as a team 304,250 on February 24th, 2007. Orcade.com, however, only tracks single player. And that record is held by Brad Williams with a score of 209,375 points achieved July 1st, 2017 at the Galloping Ghost Arcade. Yeah. There you are. And me, 55,000-ish. 50, I, I know I have a picture of my final score somewhere, but eh. my my wife has my phone right now. I don't feel like going to get it because I'm kind of lazy right now. <laughs> so I think with that, are we done with Warlords? Uh, yeah, we both gave our ratings. Uh, but however, we're not done discussing either one of these games yet because we have to address someone else who wished to submit comments about each of those games. And his good friend and all-around awesome guy, Eugenio. Eugenio, Trek MD. So uh, I'll read the, the first couple paragraphs in, the, uh, in Circus. You can read Warlords. So, season's greetings, just Sean and Jim. And season's greetings right back to you, Eugenio. Season greetings. Yep, yep. Um, I hope you guys had a happy Thanksgiving that you did not spend much during Black Friday or Cyber Monday. Oh. I managed to not spend much on either day this year. Thanksgiving was nice this year as my parents were still in town after our cruise and I got to spend the day with them. I had not had a chance to do that in several years. They've already gone back to Puerto Rico. Now my house is all decorated for Christmas as I generally do over Thanksgiving weekend. By the way, I have an addendum to my prior email about NBA Jam. I've totally forgot to mention that I also have the Atari Jaguar version of the game. Though I don't play it often, it is indeed a fun game. I find it is better than the Genesis version in terms of visuals. I also recently found a video that might be of interest as it analyzes all the versions of the games and ranks them based on several different characteristics. And he does provide a link to that, which we will put in the show notes. Indeed. Then he continues on with Warlords. Oh, dude, in terms of spending much during Black Friday, I, di I didn't spend much. In fact, Black Friday, we were traveling back home from New Jersey, my wife and I. But on the way back to the airport, we stopped because we, all right, we like to take Southwest Airlines as much as possible, but they stopped servicing Newark Airport. So we flew into Philadelphia instead and from Philadelphia. And so we're driving over to Philadelphia Airport. We pulled over, we did a side trip to Princeton where I worked for a couple of years, actually. 
uh, not Prin- I didn't work at Princeton University. I worked a couple of blocks away from Princeton University, but we walked around Princeton for a while. And it was also record store day. Uh oh. And I had heard that there was a new version of the Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas soundtrack on a picture disc. The last time they put it out on vinyl for record store day, I bought a copy after record store day. So it was a little bit inflated in price and it wasn't pressed properly. It was like off center. So the music was all skewed and things. I was all up. I was pissed off about that. I was a little bit hesitant this time, especially because picture discs don't have a good reputation, but still I wanted to take a chance that it was a good version and it was a great version. Oh, it sounds so good. I was so happy. I was so happy. That was worth the investment. It was worth the risk of being in a pressurized metal tube for a couple of hours. It plays back really nicely. So, yeah. But anyway, I want to get back to Eugenio here, who says, Warlords. My first experience with this game was with the Atari 2600 version. In fact, I thought it was an original title for the system, as I had never seen the arcade machine. Ah, uh, me too, Eugenio, me too. For years, I'd never seen it. I didn't know it was an arcade game. Uh, he goes on to say, I was clueless for quite a few years until I learned that the game was actually an arcade port. Imagine my surprise. I did not see an arcade machine of Warlords until just a few years ago, though. Unfortunately, all I have been able to do is see the machine as I have not been able to play it. The original 2600 port is well made, even if the graphics are limited when compared to the arcade. The frenetic action is there, and it sure is fun to play it with friends. Of course, the 2600 has another version of the game that is graphically better than the original port, and that game is Medieval Mayhem, like we just talked about. When I first laid eyes on this port, I was in awe. Aww. The game looks a lot better and plays pretty much just as well. I love the dragon that throws the fireball at the start of the game. It is quite an impressive looking dragon, and probably the best looking one on the system. There's also the 5200 port of the game, Castle Crisis, also for the 8-bits of course, uh, which also features the dragon and has the same additional gameplay with some additional options. So, though I may not have the chance to play the arcade original, the three home ports I have are all awesome versions of Warlords, and quite fun to play. Uh, yeah, yeah, thank you, Johanio. Thanks for your feedback on there. It, 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 seriously, I'm really starting to consider. Uh, I just want to say I was never rich. I do not come from a rich family, but every year at Christmas, my parents have been very generous in terms of, uh, like, in addition to getting us Christmas presents and stuff, they also hand us out, usually they hand out envelopes with cash in them. I might just use that cash to buy Medieval Mayhem and Castle Crisis for the 8-bit. There you go. So yeah, cause Castle I, Crisis I, I, is I, worth it. I could imagine. And yeah. there's a Easter egg in Castle Crisis. And yeah, and you know what? Uh, Eugenio was uh, mentioning that he doesn't, that, that he uh, never gets a chance to really play Warlords. I just want to do a quick little check here, and I recommend everybody do this check from time to time. Uh, go to aurcade.com, orcade.com, and you can actually see. That it's a such a great resource because you can find out that well, first of all, there are no listed locations in Florida for uh, warlords, so unfortunately, or Puerto Rico, so uh, Eugenio's out of luck. <laughs> um, I shouldn't laugh about that. That's a terrible shame. But if you go to browse locations, you can type in, uh, you do a search for your state, your city, and it'll come back up with uh, a list of what's in that particular area. And if you click browse games, you can type the name or part of the name of a game that you'd like to play and it'll tell you where you can find that game. Of course, that's uh, depending on 
updated information. So I do know there are some defunct places now that are still listed there, but still, that's a hell of a good resource to check out. That's how I found out about Underground Retrocade seven years ago, too. There you go. Well, with that, I'm going to continue here with uh, Eugenio's uh, talk about Circus. You tell. Here's another one that I first experienced on the 2600 and believed it to be another original title for the system. It was called Circus Atari. Boy, was I surprised again to learn that many years later that the game is yet another port of an arcade game, but one that was not licensed to since the original Circus was an Exidy title. I guess Atari made this before it became the norm to officially port arcade games. Unlike with Warlords, I have never seen an arcade machine for Circus. I have to wonder how long I'd survive playing it, since my experience with the 2600 version has been that I don't last long. I also have the adaptation of the game made by Bati Crescenzo for the 7800, Super Circus Atari Age. This version has the same gameplay along with added options, but takes the graphics to the next level. The clowns look great on this version, and the game sounds even better if you can get it with a pokey chip. This version can oh, be yeah. played with either joystick or paddle controller, but I recommend only using a paddle controller for it. There was also a new 2600 version in development, Circus Atari Age, uh, that improved on the original version of the game. The final version posted was the PRGE demo. I'm not sure if any more work has been done on this. It does look great, though. I just took a quick look at the thread while uh, you were reading there, and uh, it does look like it's... Uh, pretty much been abandoned. Uh, it was uh, being programmed by Omega Matrix, and um, yeah, it started in 2013, and uh, so he hasn't worked on it in a while, so it could be yeah. one of those things where they pick back up on it years later, like uh, like uh, Champ Games actually did is doing with uh, Avalanche, <laughs> of all games, huh. but yeah. um, unfortunately, that's uh, where we're standing at with that. So, um, he concludes here, I wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas. See you again in the new year. Going to the Final Frontier Gaming. Well, thank you, Eugenio, and we wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And we wish all of our friends uh, and listeners and enemies, actually, also, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Or if nothing, if not magnanimous. And that's a word I like. So That's a wonderful word. It's an awesome word. Oh, yeah. Because it reminds me of magma, and you know how I am with geology and geography. No, how are you with that? Very fine, thank you. How about you? Eh, not so bad. Oh, awesome. So, I think with that, we should reveal the uh, reveal the theme of today's episode. And, oh, uh, please, do tell. <laughs> and Eugenio touched on it. <laughs> These are uh, arcade games where people are more actually familiar with the 2600 version than they are with the arcade version. And they're paddle-based breakout clones, really. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, that's not, a secondary not clones, theme. but, yeah. Secondary theme. I would think that's a primary theme, well, actually. Well, that's not what I have listed on our spreadsheet. Ah, uh, sucks to your spreadsheet. And uh, I think, um, let me think, let's, uh, for our next episode, we're going to do another special oh, yeah. episode. We haven't done one in a little bit. And so for episode 106, we are going to talk Atari 5200 and the Vectrex. Oh, the Vectrex. The Atari 5200 and the Vectrex game systems. And we're working on uh, getting a special guest uh, on the show. Ooh, who could it be this time? Uh, shall, I, shall I say? Or should I leave it a surprise? Yeah, let's leave let's it a surprise. Let's leave it a surprise. So, oh, everybody knows it's going to be either one of the Super Podcast brothers or Ferg. That's true. So, but yeah. uh, we've already asked the person, and they said they said they would. It's just a matter of getting our schedules together. So That's um, correct. So it probably won't be until after the new year. So uh, okay. this will probably be our last episode for the year. So yeah, 
Yeah. There you go. And I think we should do a end of year Christmassy uh, read of all of our uh, Patreon sponsors, don't you think? Christmassy read. A Christmassy read. You never. You didn't prepare me for that. Okay. Well, then just do uh, just do your regular read though, and then <sighs> have Hyde drop in some like snowflake and jingle bell effects underneath. Snowflake effects? Okay, I, there are already snowflake effects here because, you know, snowflakes are so loud. Oh, of course. But, um, Jingle bells okay, and I th- Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to organize it first. I'm going to th- first thank the podcasts that sponsor us. Uh, thank you, Atari Bytes and the SNES podcast. Thank you. And now I will thank the businesses that sponsor us through Patreon.com, New Balance Stores, Phoenix, and Underground Retrocade. Thank you, guys. Thank you both. And so, um, let's see. What next? Uh, how should I categorize this? Uh, you know, I'm not going to categorize just read just the off the cuff. Yeah, Let's just, just read, read the rest. So thank you, Franco Dragon. Thank you, Christian Williams. Thank you, Keith Sheehan. Thank you, D. Alex. Thank you, Rory Coleman. Thank you, Richard Grounds. Uh, thank you, Airshack. Thank you, Steve Steiner and Kyle Etter and Lance Endries and Richard Valdez. And thank you to Tim Foley and PJ Steele and Art Guglielmo and Nate Lockhart and Timmy Mack and... Kurt Musgrave, thank you all so much. Anybody else wish to uh, contribute monetarily? Uh, We do have a couple of extra features. Like we do release the episode first on Patreon, although it may change slightly between the time it's on Patreon and the time it's here. So basically, hey, Patreon is our uh, guinea pig for a dollar or more a month. (laughs) So yeah, and uh, we also put some bonus features on there. We put our first bonus feature, only a couple of minutes, like some... Uh, footage we cut out from the normal episode because it was just too freaking long mm-hmm. uh, from uh, episode 104, I believe. And um, yeah, so that's what we have to say about that. And as soon as and, I get the uh, video over to Sean of my tour of the National Video Game Museum, oh, Patreon yeah. sponsors will get to see that. Yeah. And, and, and as I an swear, extra, one extra of these bonus. Days I, one of these days I'm going to look into getting the t-shirts ready for everybody too. Oh yeah, that's right. And But as an extra, extra bonus, you do not see me much at all in the videos. And you don't see me at all there in you the go. videos, so that's, which that's is a worthy real of, bonus. That's worthy of at least a $2 a month's uh, Patreon yeah, sponsorship, don't yeah. you think? I, I would think yeah. so. So, so yeah. thank you, everybody, and um, have a Merry Christmas. Yeah, simply th- have a wonderful Christmas time. Yes, do like Sir Sean said. Have a, simply have a wonderful Christmas time, and, uh, yes. and uh, Merry, have a Happy New Year. And if we don't hear you before then, or hear you, if you don't hear us before then, have a happy Elvis's birthday. Oh, yeah. And if you do hear us before then, then I hope you have a crappy Elvis's birthday. Yeah. So. yeah. Bye-bye, everybody. Blue in color. Ooh, nice. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy CTA Holiday Train, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. Jeep Bonnet. And this is a game from Atari from, oh my God, what the hell happened to my notes? My notes are, are flaffed up. Uh, uh, oh man, I have to cheat. Uh, Wikipedia, take me away. Oh. Uh.